Welcome to this episode of Higher Learning with Canna Planners. My name is Will Reed. I'm the CEO and founder of Canna Planners, a Burlington-based creative and web development agency for the cannabis industry. The point of these conversations that we're having are to uh, engage with the cannabis uh, the cannabis community, learn about how people are starting their businesses in this emerging industry. Uh, and basically, it's just an opportunity for me to talk to my friends. Uh, today's guest is Adam Gross, aka Tito Byrne. Uh, he is the uh, founder and proprietor of the Byrne Gallery, which is a glass shop and gallery in downtown Burlington, Vermont. Uh, he opened his doors almost se- 17, I almost said 70. <laughs> 17 years ago. You're not that old yet, buddy. Uh, since then, his business has grown into a significant player in the high-end glass market. Uh, in addition to his shop, Tito is also responsible for the Pipe Classic, a glass-blowing contest uh, entering its 16th year. Uh, Tito, welcome to Higher Learning. We appreciate you being here, buddy. What's up, Will? Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Um, you are an important person in my life, especially professionally. You know, you were uh, one of the first guys I met when I first kind of dipped my toe into uh, cannabis entrepreneurship. Uh, we met, I think, probably at your shop, but we spent some time down in, in Montpelier together and kind of in the early heady days of, uh, you know, the ab- advocacy of, of Vermont cannabis. Uh, so it's good to see you. Thanks again for being here. Um, I want to talk to you kind of about your journey. First of all, you know, like, like I said, this, these conversations are supposed to, you know, they're all cannabis centered, uh, in one way or another, but really it's about, it's about business and how, um, folks like you decided, uh, to get into the industry in the way that you did. Um, and, and kind of some of the hurdles you, you, you know, jumped over along the way. So uh, just, can you give us a little bit of background? How'd you, how'd you get to, to where you are? Like how, how, why glass? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, um, you know, cannabis, cannabis has been at the center of what I do since I was, since I graduated high school, um, or at least that, that fall right after I graduated high school, it's just been all about can- cannabis ever since and, and everything around it. Um, and, um, and uh, a friend of mine was growing and uh, he got me into it. It was, it was hard for me at first. And, and then, uh, but you know, he, he said, just, just stick with it. Just, you know, make sure you, you start your first crop, grow it to the end, harvest it and smoke your own cannabis. And then let's talk again. And he was right after I did that, my life changed. You got bitten by that bug, but you know, I've, I am yeah. a, I'm a terrible grower. Like I am not consistent. I don't stick with it. But, and, and when I do smoke my own cannabis, even though it's terrible, it's, you know, objectively terrible, um, it's still rewarding. It's still like, right. you know, that feeling of, and I think the same probably goes for business too, where it's like you, you're able to eat what you kill. Um, and once you do kind of grow that first successful crop or, or have your first successful run at being a business person, like that confidence that, I mean, that's entrepreneurship too. Just like that feeling of like, oh, I, I, if I keep doing something, I can be self-sufficient at it. Yeah. Make something out of nothing. It's uh, it's, it's pretty awesome. So you started as kind of a, 
uh, an amateur home grower where where did you like how did you get to glass then i mean it it doesn't yeah for, for some people who might be listening or watching this like they may not know the extent to which like the glass community exists like it's a huge thing like a real huge thing you know yeah how, how did you well, before, what interested you there yeah that's a that's a that's a very uh uh, uh, that's a good story too. So basically, um, you know, I, I realized that I, I, I'm drawn to cannabis. That's clearly the focus of my life. And so then everything, you know, all the ancillary, uh, um, uh, activities and businesses that, that go along with that and, and glass pipes obviously attracted me very quickly. And, um, I first, I had a friend who's, who started dabbling in, in, uh, in making their own bongs. They got a little studio in Sugarbush and they were making it. And, uh, and I sold the bongs for him. So I would go on to campus because I went to UVM for a little while and, uh, and then I dropped out. So then, but I knew the campus really well. So I would go on to campus and sell his bongs for him, um, door, dorm room to dorm room. Like I would just go- Like, like you'd like, knock on the doors? Straight up. <laughs> be like, you want a bong, you know? And I'd, and, uh, and I'd uh, sell him bongs. And, um, and then, uh, <laughs> and then um, that same friend uh, then, um, invented on a product he invented this uh it's a bong and then it also became a hookah and basically uh we called it the plasma hookah and it basically uh he he figured out how to trap inert gases in between two walls of glass so um if it's a bong or a hookah you're looking at it like you know it's how you normally would typically have a tube well then there's another tube that goes inside that tube like a test tube that drops into the inside and the space okay. in between the two the space in between the two panes of glass is filled with inner gases and then electrified and it makes that um like the lightning bolts follow your fingers when you touch it kind of oh, thing oh right right yeah you know and um and so um i i started making uh i was part of the assembly line making this these products and uh and he said that um you know just keep making these and if if i can't sell them i'll i'll show you how to make pipes and you can make that in the meantime and uh and that, that was it that was i mean my life's been about uh glass and glass and canvas ever since it's really that's that's really such it. a crazy story not only like the uh the hustle you know you were literally a door-to-door bong salesman <laughs> that's awesome. Straight up. but but also like that right from the get-go of you getting into this like there was that um inventiveness you know like that's and i'm a a casual observer of the glass industry, you know, like, you know, I've sponsored the pipe classic or, or can planners have sponsored the pipe classic. Um, and we just observe, you know, we're, we're novices. We know nothing, you know, barely anything about it, but like one thing we have, a, you know, I've observed that just, just participating in it um, as a spectator is like, there's ingenuity and obvious artistry, right? Like, crazy artistry and i would i would say that that trajectory of art and even science to to degree because those you know like art is basically you know it involves some alchemy sometimes so like being able to intertwine the two and of course like glass blowing just being being alchemy right like it's fire and and glass like you're dealing with elemental powers there um they've they've kind of always been a part of it right just like the oh, science yeah. and the art, that that whole thing. It has, but I, I will honestly say though, the entrepreneurial uh, spirit was there before all of it. 
okay. So, um, you know, um, I am, if I had to rate everything, I am definitely an entrepreneur, number one. Number one, straight up. I would agree. Uh, I remember I was, um, my first business I ever had, I was, I think I was five years old. And I- I love these stories. When my, <laughs> yeah, when my, when my family would come over for like a Thanksgiving or, or Christmas or some kind of event, I set up this, um, I used my blankets in my bedroom and I set up, I set up a bookstore inside my bedroom and I would take all my books and shit that I had and I would sell it to my family members. And that was my, that was Brilliant. my, that was my big first idea. And, uh, and then, but, but my first real business was probably when I was, um, I think I was, I was probably like, uh, 11, 11 or 12 years old. And, um, I, um, I, I went around door to door painting people's house numbers on their curbs with a stencil. Nice. So, um, you know, I can't remember what I charged. It was like five or 10 bucks or something. And then I go out there and I, I stencil your, so that like uh, emergency services can see your house easier. Uh, I grew up in New Jersey where it's like super, um, uh, suburban. So, um, sure. you know, so, so that was there first for sure. Like the entrepreneurial spirit was, is guiding everything. I don't think I necessarily needed to have the science and, and art aspects of it. They're just what it was. a It was a ticket to freedom. That, that I understood so it could have just as easily been anything else honestly I, I it just I needed to do something that was mine it's something I wish I, I mean probably if I think hard enough I probably have similar stories but I, I feel like my uh like that drive for me didn't come until way later in life like maybe my my mid-20s or so um but that again you know go, going back to what we were kind of talking about earlier the that feeling it's the self-actualization and, and self-realization that like, Oh, like I just need to do, I just need to do uh, whatever I'm good at. And I like to do. And if there's um, you know, if there's truth behind it, then I can be self-sufficient. I can take care of myself yeah. and I don't have to worry about um, someone taking care of me. Right. Um, yeah. That's, that's awesome that you learned it at such an early age. Yeah. And if I had, if I had children, uh, which I do not and do not plan on it, but, uh, I would, um, you know, I would always give them the advice that, uh, do what you're good at, not what you love, you know, you, um, you, you do what you love. Um, you could have a life of pain ahead of you. Um, you know, but if you do what you're good at, you're pretty much guaranteed success. Absolutely. Yeah. You're talking to a former touring musician. So, um, if you do, and you know, I loved it, um, but it was painful. It was painful for sure. So I, I totally get that. It, it's, you know, the lucky ones get to kind of marry the two of those things. Um, yeah. You know, I totally absolutely. do your band too. That's crazy. I probably heard you. I probably was in the room with you while you were playing at one point years ago. I'm sure we played every uh, Wednesday night at Nectar's for, you know, years. <laughs> so it's, awesome. it's, it's totally possible. Um, Anyway, so like as you, so you're going door to door, you're selling bongs um, at UVM. Um, thank you, Groovy UV, uh, for opening the doors to what became the Burn Gallery. So what happened next? Like, uh, I mean, you're you're an artist also, you know, you also, uh, you know, blow glass. So did that kind of uh, coincide with, with the entrepreneurial side of it or doing the thing that you loved? Yeah, no, I, I, um, the, the art, the, the, the actual technical and art aspects of glassblowing came relatively easy to me. 
So, um, you know, I, um, I, I, I do enjoy it. I, uh, it, it, it always seems to take a backseat to, to my entrepreneurial uh, endeavors, but um, very early on, I, um, I opened a studio in my garage very soon after. So I was making those, those uh, plasma hookahs for my friend and um, that shop, there was problems. It was, a, there was a lot of drama in that studio. There was um, some real, some serious degenerate action going on, like uh, even beyond my normal degenerate action, like <laughs> just bizarre degenerate action. Um, yeah. I remember one time I, one time we got there to the studio and I don't know how else to describe this, but the bathroom inside the studio, it oh, was man. like literally like someone took a shit in the toilet. And then it's like somebody put a, a bomb in the toilet and like exploded the shit all over the, the bathroom. I've never seen anything like it in my life. I just, I left. That was, I never went back. That was the last time I, I, I one of the other shop mates inside the studio, <laughs> one of the other glass blowers in here, he, um, he was, um, he had to leave. He had to stop blowing glass to go to Germany. Uh, he was going to go walk the bridge to Germany to collect the rights to Star Wars. That was his, that was, that was the last time I saw him as well. Huh. <laughs> It's a weird. So place. you're dealing a- with true <laughs> artists here, who you know have a tendency to um, maybe walk a, a little left of center and not shit in toilets like normal people. And oh my god, you know, have, it was so bizarre. Is that? I mean, oh, yeah. so that was a big part of what you were like. I I need to run my own studio. Yeah. So basically, also, this place was far away. Um, I, I live, um, this was all, all the way in Woodbury, Vermont. And um, I had to drive like an hour and 40 minutes sometimes to get to this place. So sometimes I'd go snowboarding in the morning and then, um, you know, I'd go to Stowe and then I would drive to Woodbury and then home. It was like this, like, it was like three hours of driving a day uh, or more, you know. Um, and, uh, and so it was, that was not sustainable at all. I, I couldn't, I couldn't deal. So um, I, I had a garage in my house, so uh, we turned the garage into a glass shop. Was Michaela in the picture yet, your wife? Was this a, no. a, a team? This wasn't, okay, so she hadn't entered No, this is before yet. I knew Michaela. Yeah, this is before I knew Michaela. This, um, uh, but, but, but I met her very soon after this. Um, you know, we're talking, um, let's see, 1999, and so, um, I met Michaela in 2001, so it was like a year at later or so. And how soon did you grow out of the garage? You know, like you're so you're in there. It's just you and a kiln, and you're and you're blowing pipes and. No, no, I had a little. You know, I was part of a little posse. You had a crew, of, okay. Of, a little posse of um, of aspiring people and every week you just you just put everything in a suitcase and go hit the shops well not that's more when I met Michaela so um before I met Michaela uh I was not traveling selling glass I was not wholesaling yet at all um and so I met Michaela she started blowing glass with me too in the garage and then uh we would go on a trip to sell our own glass and then we realized that the other our other friends in the shop were I mean helpless was an understatement um, sure. You know, they could make beautiful glass, but literally just could not sell it. And so I was like, well, I'll take your glass. With, we could take your glass with us when we go on this road trip. And we did. And and uh, and of course, we sold it all. And so, you know, everybody's like, whoa, that was pretty cool. 
Uh, and so uh, next thing you know, Burn Glass Wholesale was, was born and Burn Glass Wholesale was Michaela and I, and we uh, would do what you were saying. We would just, we'd hop in the van. I got, well, didn't start off with a van. It started off just with a Subaru hatchback. You're in Vermont, and, uh, of course. Get in there. We'd, yeah, we, and we'd load it all up and then we would, uh, we would start driving around the Northeast and, um, and selling glass. And we just uh, made a little bit of extra percentage um, off of our friend's glass to, to, you know, to pay us for our work. And, uh, and we actually ran Burn Glass Wholesale right up uh, through the opening of the Burn Gallery. Um, that was something else. We, we uh, in the very beginning, the first two years of the gallery or so, uh, two days a week, we would close the burn gallery down. We would empty all the cases in the gallery, empty them into the van, hit the road for two days, come back, drive straight back to the gallery, and then unload the glass, whatever we didn't sell, unload it all back into the gallery cases and, uh, and, and open the next day. And, um, you know, we did that for a couple of years. I mean, we, we, we started everything from, from virtual nothingness, um, which, you know, I, I'll never do again, but, but we did it nonetheless. It's, I mean, it's important to, so like that is a essential part of, you have, you have your, you have a couple kind of types of entrepreneurs, right? You have the, uh, the hustlers and the idea guys, right? Or the idea people, right? The idea people are generally ones like maybe not executing on the business plan. Maybe they're more interested in fundraising. And then you got the hustlers, um, the people who, you know, I think like me too, were focused on actually like building those relationships, making sure the quality of the products are good, like really focused on, on the business itself, like having to just control freaks, right? That's what we are. We have, we, we are power hungry control freaks who want to um, know about every aspect of our business. And to me, like, I can't think of doing it any other way. Like that's the fun part about being an entrepreneur is like getting, getting your hands dirty. Right. I think you I think you overestimate my level of control in this company. Um, I uh, I um, I you know through um, with Sarah May and now uh, Jeff White taking on new responsibilities. Um, I I actually pride myself on not micromanaging. Um, I I try to to truly just let people you know get the right person in the job um, and uh, and let them do their thing. Um, you know until there's a problem, of course. <laughs> totally, like this is such an important skill set for any entrepreneur entrepreneur to have which is like knowing when to take the hat off and and also being able to trust the person you've hired to wear that hat right and yeah you've got a great team and and you know similarly like i i've you know i've grown out of that control freak mindset too and it's a result of i there's just not enough time in the day like the business grows and you have to put different hats on and, and, yeah. you know, find new people and grow that team. So it's well, interesting to too, hear that. Yeah. You know, for me too, I have to say, like, I, I realized I just, I just straight up just was not the best person for the job in many scenarios. Um, like you talk about the idea or idea guy or execution guy. That's a great example. Like I am a, I'm a terrible ideas guy. And that's why I have Jeff White. I mean, he's one of the best ideas guys I've ever met. Uh, totally. uh, my execution though is excellent, but yeah, my man, I can't, I'm, I'm just not the best person for certain jobs. Like yeah, even totally. like with Sarah May, like, uh, sometimes like I'll sit here, some things with, um, with, uh, the bookkeeping end of things, I, I literally just can't even do it anymore. Like I, I, I'll, I'll like, um, 
I'll, I'll sit down, I'll, I'll try to execute a step like several times. I'll literally start getting antsy and I just can't even like sit and deal. Like, I, yeah. you know, it's, ah! so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, I mean, it's not like I'm building websites, you know, or creating logos or, or whatever. Um, but, you know, like it's all the other stuff, like for creative companies like ours, it's, you know, you have to have that creative talent because, if you're, if you are, uh, you know, ever, if you're, if growth is something, you know, you're trying to do, if you're trying to grow, um, if you're trying to scale ever, it can't all fall on you. There's not enough time in the day. And also yeah. you, and you shout fail. out uh, and shout out to, and shout out to anybody listening to Canna Planners, because uh, that's a perfect <sighs> example of what you're doing for me, because I don't even, you know, um, I'm so old school in so many ways, um, you know, talk about not being the right person for the job. I, I mean, when it comes to, growing this company digitally, you know, I need a lot of help. Well, I appreciate you saying that. We'll, we'll get into that because we're going to talk about some other things. Uh, but before we do, I still want to kind of just kind of catch up to the story of like, so you transition from uh, burn wholesale uh, into an actual retail and I'm just, uh, you know, what, okay. So context. So like we're about the same age. Uh, you're a, a little bit older than I am, but we're about the same age. And I grew up in the 90s in Providence. And I used to go to stores like the Kind Connection and Ethnic Concepts. And this is during the time when you'd have to walk in and um, you'd have to use coded language or no language at all. You'd have to infer to the person behind mm -hmm. the desk what type of yeah. piece you were looking for. You couldn't use the word bong, God forbid. You'd, you'd be kicked out of the store. And I can remember that that shopping experience beyond it being like um, very indicative of maybe like where the war on drugs was at that point, uh, meaning like it wasn't a welcome experience ever. And, and I think like a lot of that was the trepidation on the, on those, those, those shop owners to make sure that they fell into some sort of line. I'm kind of curious if you could talk about that a little, like, you obviously remember this time. Now you can walk into a, you know, like I can walk into the burn gallery and say, uh, not only give me that, you know, sell me that bong, but I'm going to use it for cannabis. That's not a tobacco pipe. That's insane. Um, who's yeah. pulling bong hits of tobacco? No, I don't know. Um, well, what's really great. Uh, what's really great yeah. about what you're saying is, is I actually know those two specific stores you're talking about in Rhode Island. Really well, they've been well. around um, forever. Yeah. 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 That was part, those were both those stores were, uh, like, uh, 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 tried and true stop on our tour on our northeast tour of burn glass wholesale uh chris from a kind place uh he was a big fan of my glass and then uh we uh sold to ethnic concept and um wow that store actually that was a crazy story that was that was that was pretty traumatic actually for me what happened with ethnic concepts um that store uh quick side note so the we were in the store inside ethnic concepts uh, on Wicked Street, it was on that in that little like yeah. orange building on Wicked Street, downtown Providence. Yeah. And the owner finds out that his best friend died while we were in the store. It was so fucking intense. Like you, know, you were in a business transaction, and he's like, yeah. "Hello, oh god, yeah, yeah, yeah." He's like, "Oh, oh, oh my god!" You know, literally, we're standing there. Uh, then that the owner of the store. Um, uh, got a brain tumor and was dead a year later. Oh man, 
I don't know. I don't think that store's still around. I'm pretty sure it's gone. But it was it was one of those places where you know, like and and like I said, those were my stops, right? And you would have to. How do you create a retail experience while simultaneously trying to juggle? you know, what was like the shadowy, maybe nefarious, evil glass industry at the time. You know, like this is, this is even before Tommy Chong went to jail. So it only got worse until Operation Pipe Dreams, right? So that's the early, early mid 2000s or something, right? Yeah. Well, one cool thing uh, is that, um, is that we're in Vermont. Um, The fact that we were in Vermont made all this stuff not as big a deal. Um, you know, if you had a pipe store in Texas, you know, and you, you know, you said the word bong in that store, I mean, you could like get arrested or something, you know, it, it was crazy scene. Um, right. And, uh, and uh, Vermont, I feel like has never been, you know, super hardcore. However, we used to have little stickers that went on every single pipe that said for tobacco use only. And we played that game and it felt absolutely ridiculous. And now I can show you uh, what we have going <laughs> The times there are changing. Now, when you go into the gallery, I hope you can see this, but now it says this. Yep. <laughs> so for our listeners, he's holding up some rolling papers and on it, it says cannabis use only. So yeah. I it mean, says, well, it, it's a little table tent. It's a little table tent. It's like oh, all I, products uh, are intended. All products are intended for cannabis use only. And this is sitting on every shelf of the gallery. There you go. Okay. So you've completely flipped the table on um again this this shadow uh area in which the glass industry existed and and you know that's an obvious result of the war on drugs and and um so you're you're in downtown burlington now and i that's interesting to hear you just touch on that just now i'm curious like how burlington was supportive of you um my dogs are now running in and they might jump on me, but how, how the community was supportive of you. And, and furthermore, like, so for me, like I try to network with businesses outside of what we're doing. Like I have men- business mentors outside of cannabis, outside of web, outside of marketing who can, you know, basically just act as consigliere and, and help me figure out how to do things. So I'm, I'm just kind of curious, like one, how supportive was the the town of Burlington in in what you were doing and two like do you find yourself um, looking for outside mentorship for for people or was this sort of just like you know because there isn't a book on how to how to run a glass shop in a in a you know a a, a gallery like um, did you have to mostly just rely on yourself? Well, uh, no, definitely not, definitely not. There's a lot to unwrap there though because um, you know the community. Um, at large was fine, like as far as like what Chamber of Commerce and stuff like that. I mean, they 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 all they all treated us just like we were a normal business selling anything else. Um, but to backtrack a little further, uh, the pipe community did not support us. Hmm. So um, at the time, it was Full Tank and uh, Good Times were the main two stores. And uh, you know, here now, Michaela and I are representing our little crew of glass artists. You know. And uh, we would try to get deals with these stores like, hey, you know, we'll sell to your store only in your town, but you got to buy a certain amount from us. So we have some kind of um, security and uh, and um, both stores here in Burlington did not want to. uh, They're cute. Uh, Both (laughs) stores did not want to 
Um, they did not want to agree to any kind of regular buying. And, uh, and, um, and I even remember saying to one of those store owners, I was like, you know, you, by you guaranteeing that you're going to buy, let's say $1,000 a month from our group, that, uh, that, you know, another store doesn't open right next to you. And, uh, and, um, and now I don't know that either. Well, one of the stores is definitely not open anymore. And the other one doesn't appear to be open. I'm not sure what's going on. So, right. um, um, you know, so, so that was that, you know, and that, so they got the burn gallery, they got the burn gallery set up in Burlington because nobody wanted to support our group and that's what you get. And so Burlington was born, uh, burn gallery was born. And, uh, and so it was kind of the, the pipe community not supporting us that even made the burn gallery exist. Uh, but then the community at large, absolutely, they supported us so much, very much. Um, uh, but I definitely did not have help. Um, it was so difficult in the beginning. We didn't start with enough money. Um, we were pivoting at every corner that we could. We we weren't even planning on doing uh, lessons, uh, glass blowing lessons, or any of that. The whole burn glass school was born out of a pivot, um, you know, because it was so tough. And then I even turned to um, uh, Score, which is a nonprofit group. Um, who I suggest to any aspiring entrepreneur, if you're having issues, go to this, this group called SCORE. Uh, this nonprofit company is amazing. And uh, they hooked us up with uh, this really, really successful dude. Um, and his name uh, was Jerry Johnson. And uh, this guy, uh, you know, had had a lot of success at Megacorp, you know, and a uh, super rich dude. And, and uh, this guy, like, went to banking meetings with us and stuff like he like wow. he like strong-armed banks for us in our favor it was like i've never seen anything like this it was it was wild and so not only did he not only would i meet with him to, to give me business advice but he actually went to the banking meetings wow. and and uh this in this one time i'll never forget it we were at vermont, vermont development credit union which is now opportunities credit union and uh, we were applying for the ARC loan, which was an Obama, early Obama loan for businesses uh, as a recovery thing, $35,000 loan. And, uh, and they were not going to give it to us. And uh, this guy goes to the meeting with us. And, and I've never seen, when he walked in the room, he, he didn't come in the room with us. He entered the room after we were there. It was like Darth Vader walked in the room. You know, and like um, everybody just like their demeanor changed, their body language changed. Everything was different. You know, the second that dude walked in the room and then all of a sudden they were saying, yes, 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 like instantly. And wow. um, so I, I definitely had help. Well, maybe we'll uh, we'll put a link to score in the uh, the YouTube description here um, so yeah, that people can check that out. That's awesome. That's a, that's a really yeah. good story. So um you did you did have some help it was like being able to you know see how uh you know <laughs> business people interact you know because for 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 me i mean i i've never had that experience you know like i've had you know of of being a fly on the wall and seeing how um business people engage with you know just some of the normal day-to-day -day hurdles of of running a business like getting a loan you know it's it's uh, intimidating for sure. Um, it was Especially interesting. I remember I was, uh, I was yeah. only 20, I was 23 years old too. What a hugely impactful experience for a 23 year old, yeah. you know, like, yeah. like, oh, these guys, you know, these bankers in front of me aren't so scary. Like 
they're just people with jobs, you know, they're just following totally. directions, you know, that's it. Yeah. Um, they're, they're there for you. Um, I, it was interesting to hear you talk about pivoting and, and the lessons, you know, like uh, you, you, here we are, you know, to give context for people watching in the way distant future. Uh, we're in the middle of COVID and pandemic and everyone's shut down, businesses are shut down. So like you kind of had this experience of having to, yeah, <laughs> of having to pivot uh, yeah. or learning how to pivot early on, huh? Yeah, that's it. And uh, because, you know, the only thing that, the only thing that, uh, you know, as they say that, that is normal is change, you know, um, change yeah. is the only thing that is guaranteed to always be there. So if you can't pivot and you can't change, um, then uh, you you'll you won't stand a chance, or or you'll you'll do well for a period of time, but then you'll you'll never you'll never transition to the next phase. You know, you had to adapt. So so was this? I mean, you're the self-ascribed not ideas guy. So who who thought during back then? Who was like lessons? We should do that. We have these kilns here. We have all this extra time. Like, um, they um, I I chose all the the directions that we went, but. Um, when you say idea, like it wasn't an idea. You like, realized you like realized that idea popped to happen. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. had to happen. And it's not like an idea. Yeah, it's not like one day everything was like normal, and I was like, oh, you know what would do really well? A, a glass school. Like, no, no, no. It wasn't like that. It was more like we're already blowing glass in there. People are asking us to teach them. It's like it's so obviously there to be created. It, it, I didn't have to have the idea. It was just there. It was so obvious, it, you know. This seems like maybe an obvious segue into the Pipe Classic. Like how? So the the Pipe Classic mm -hmm. being in its sixteenth year is that accurate? Well, it should have been. Should have been. Should've so been. <laughs> we we just missed this. What would have been the sixteenth? Well, uh, pipe. It would have been 15. Yep. Would have been five classic. Would have been 15. All right. So so pretty soon after opening the retail store, Pipe Classic happens. Now, is that a result of of pivot or just like an obvious uh sort of hey, we should have uh, this should be we should have an event. Like we Yeah, it, it's it was so it was so this the the latter, what you what you said. It was um so basically we were all blowing glass in my garage. And um, you know, when you're making spoons and and wannies and smaller items, like, you know. It, sometimes it can get really, really boring and it can really start feeling like work and feel a little bit monotonous. So sure. what we would do is we would just have friendly challenges, you know, who can make the fastest spoon, who can make the fastest wani, uh, who could make the nicest piece and sell it for the most amount of money in the shortest time, you know, like we'd have these really bizarre competitions that were just yeah. really just because we were bored. Um, and, uh, and then there was, uh, so that was always happening. So we were just always competing. It was just kind of part of who we were. Um, we, my group of friends would always be uh, like doing weird bets on things that just, you know, like, like how much is it going to snow tonight? You know, and we'd all bet on it. Like it was very competitive and just always competing. And, uh, and um, oh, I lost my train of thought. Oh, it was, uh, classic. So that kind of, oh, that just so, yeah, evolved so, so into naturally. the classic. Yeah. Yeah. So then, um, you know, um, in the glass scene, in the pipe scene, or in the glass scene, I should say, there was uh, there was a competition going on. Um, it was called the the Eugene Glass School Flame Off, I believe mm -hmm. is what it was called. And one of the rules was that you could not make a pipe. 
right? Mm. So naturally, I was like, well, that's ridiculous. Right. You know, let's have a competition. We're, it has to be a pipe. Of course. You know, <laughs> uh, you know again, it's like, it, it wasn't really like a, a great idea. It just, it was right there. It was, it was just, it was so obvious. Like, you know, and then, um, you know, I came from the, um, um, from the snowboarding, um, you know, sport culture and um, like all these, you know, skateboarding, snowboarding, all these, they all have their competitions that are a celebration of the sport. You know what I mean? And, and I felt like pipe making needed that. And, and that's what pipe plastic is. So, so tell us a bit about it. Yeah. Tell us, tell us a bit about it. Like, um, you know, that's, that's kind of its evolution, but, but what is it? So what is pipe plastic? Uh, It's a pipe making competition that features the best pipe makers on earth. It does. <laughs> it is, and it yeah. does. Uh, and it takes place over the course of a week. And there's, you know, uh, it's it's very competitive. It's very fast. Like we were saying earlier, it's very elemental. These people are sweating. They're, uh, in some cases, breaking their their entry pieces. They're, mm-hmm. you know, you know, they're dealing with uh, what's going on in that moment. Maybe the their torches malfunction. Whatever. Like there's all of these variables that that can and have happened um i'm curious about so so it's it's you know it's it was a bit of a pivot but also like filling in what to you seemed like an obvious gap and to you it probably seemed obvious but you know you're you right and you uh you have you have this experience in what you're doing how is it received i mean it's been going on for for 15 16 years now so obviously it's like it's grown into something but like did you have those you know you meant you know you told us about the some local shops who weren't so receptive to what you were trying to do was there did you have to break into this was this something you had to fight for or were people like stoked on it um people were stoked on it 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 came together pretty easily I, i think like um because um a lot of artists like a lot of artists really, all artists really want is recognition. And so, um, you know, it's like this event, Humans. just being, being in this event is giving the artist recognition. Like, so it's, it's always been the all-star game in that way. You know, it's like, if you're in the pipe classic, you've already won, you know, it's like the pipe classic is just a celebration. Um, you know, you, you, you're, you've already won, you've already got that recognition. So it was pretty easy to get the artists on board. And then um, I wanted it to have like an X Games feel to it where like, you know, you see the X Games, there's always all the sponsor banners, uh, you you know, back behind the the, uh, competitors, whatever. So that's, you know, I wanted to get that same feel. So I had it be a a sponsor driven event. And that's what you see now when you watch the competition behind the artist, you see all the the sponsors and their logos and their banners. and, and, uh, And I like that feel. Yeah, same. It's a lot of fun. It's a fun event to, um, be a spectator of and, and you know on the small level that that canna planners is able to be involved in the past we've obviously had you know this year was a little different we were a bit more involved this year yeah. but um you know it, it's a ton of fun and it you know it caps off with you know some big parties <laughs> one of the best parties i've ever been to uh one year for sure was was at you know after pipe uh yeah after one of the pipe classic events it was a lot of fun which one i mean uh, they're all some of them are so legendary which i mean it was which, yeah a couple of years ago out in colchester you weren't in the yeah. hostel you weren't in the hostel right did you go to the no, hostel I don't think, no oh, that no, was maybe the, one of the craziest of them all the hostel party that was like that was nuts 
it was like you it was like you put uh it was like you put uh uh like 150 or like like 200 like really close friends in a prison cell with everything they could possibly want to have fun <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a really weird really weird party as well fun. i think that's a cool uh, you know just that sounds awesome but i think like deeper to that is like is this community you know it's a community of artists and of expand uh, an ever expanding community of of people supporting those artists like you see some of the you know you i don't have to tell you but like you, you know you go follow some of these some of these artists on instagram and and they have tens twenties uh sometimes hundreds of thousands of followers and they're selling and some of these people are, are able to sell their 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 work for insane amounts of money how is that like just can you give me a little perspective like what's ha like why 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 is that happened do you think i mean i think it's like any other art i think like um you know um some art goes for a lot of money some art doesn't couldn't have said it better myself i couldn't have said it better myself um so let's keep talking about pivoting because like this year as we've said like you know it's it's been it's been a difficult year i know you had to kind of close the shop for a while you had to completely change the way in which you engage with your customers you had to rely more on your website which we were very happy to build for you um and then pipe classic you know that was a heartbreaker was that i mean it couldn't have been too difficult of a decision to make you knew you couldn't have that event this year yeah um, we knew we couldn't have it um you know i probably needed a year off anyway but uh in the meantime, we created the Pipe Classic Qualifier, which ended up just being becoming a whole brand new week-long competition. <laughs> I don't know what's a, what is my fucking problem. I uh, um, <laughs> you love again, stress. you know what it is. It's like you know what it is. It's not. It's it's like it's that some things are just so obvious. Like the Pipe Classic Qualifier was so obvious to me, but whether or not I wanted to do it was a whole different story. You know what I mean? Like I put yeah. that on the back burner, and um, you know, and and. Um, and we, we did it. We did it. It was crazy, but we did so, it. So <laughs> yeah. for people listening, you may not know the pipe. So the pipe classic is a physical event wherein, you know, the store is packed nightly with uh, it's packed. You know, there's 120, you know, there's, there's hundreds of people in the store watching the competitions happen. And obviously as a result of COVID, we weren't able to do that this year um, in the store. So, you know, we helped Tito and his team pivot this to an online uh, event. And I think, um, you know, beyond some of the first year stutters, I think it was, I mean, it was a lot of fun for sure. It was definitely stressful, but I think like probably, I think what it did for me was just reinforce what we are, what, what we were just saying, which is this community is huge and like people are interested in this kind of content and, Hopefully next year um, we'll be able to do this in person again. But at the very least, we know that you know if we're if we're going back to sort of talking about the business and and how to um, continue building the brand, like this seems like a no brainer. Continuing to have the live stream coverage, the you know the online engagement, being able to utilize social in a different way than you would be than just like live streaming, like you know Kurt B at the oven. Um, doing his thing or whatever um so i i'm glad i'm glad you uh i'm glad you enjoyed it we definitely 
we for, we for sure had a good time doing it. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was awesome. And the live streaming in the actual Pipe Classic is going to be super cool. I can't wait to see what that looks like, um, especially with the uh, the Eli and Raj, whatever we call it. It's not going to be the Bracket Breakdown Live, but... Uh, no, whatever, whatever we call it. Yeah, we have plenty awesome. of time to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tito, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I appreciate you uh, talking to me about kind of, you know, your your entrepreneurial adventure over the last 20 years um, or longer, it sounds like, since you were five. Uh, selling books under your bed uh, to your cousins and, and parents. Um, tell the people where they can find you. Uh, let us know where we can buy some some bongs for cannabis use only. Well, um, you can uh, always find me at the, at the Burn Gallery and uh, on Instagram, Facebook. I'm on there uh, under Tito Burn, B-E-R-N. And, uh, and that's it. I forgot. What did what, you ask me? <laughs> That's what I asked you, where we can find you. So you did the thing. You did a great job, Tito. Thank you for for being with us today. Uh, I have been your host, Will Reed. This has been Higher Learning with Canna Planners. We'll see you next time. Thanks. (laughs) 